imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Welcome to this week's episode of Lead Hership Global, where we have the honor and pleasure to speak to Colleen Brown about how women will impact the future one corporate board at a time. You know, research has shown that diversity matters because it brings a broad collection of experiences, perspectives, backgrounds, and viewpoints that lead to better decision-making. And optimizing boardroom decision-making through gender diversity should be a critical goal for every organization, especially in the kind of highly complex and risky world that we're all living in right now. Corporate directors need to be able to understand the markets their companies serve, their employees, their customers, and the complex issues that face their business. And when half the planet is female, having women in positions of influence on corporate boards is an obvious benefit to business, both large and small. Yet in March of this year, Catalyst released a report that found that women held less than 15% of senior positions among Fortune 500 companies. And unfortunately, that's a number that hasn't changed significantly over the previous four years. Similarly, boards of director seats remain flat for women, with female directors comprising less than 17% of Fortune 500 board members. In 2020, among the largest 3,000 U.S. publicly traded companies, only about one in five board members are women. And that's according to Equilar, which tracks corporate governance data. And it says nearly one in 10 boards actually have no women. Research from scholars and organizations has found that women need to hold at least three board seats in order to create critical mass. And that can lead to better financial performance. And reaching critical mass can change boardroom dynamics substantially, actually creating an environment in which innovative ideas can spring from gender diversity. To talk with us today about how women will impact the future, one corporate board at a time, I'm excited to introduce Colleen Brown. She's an experienced chairman, corporate director, CEO, and international speaker on disruption and technology. Colleen was recognized in 2019 as a most influential corporate director by Women Inc. magazine. She has also been named by the National Association of Corporate Directors as a top 100 director in the U.S. and was selected as director of the year. And Corporate Director magazine identified her as a top 10 corporate director you should know. Seattle Business Magazine named her Outstanding Public Company CEO, and she's also a member of the esteemed Aspen Leadership Institute. During her tenure as Director and CEO of Fisher Communications, Colleen was selected as Gamco's Management Hall of Fame winner for delivering outstanding shareholder value. Colleen has served in the C-suite of Belo Corp, a Fortune 1000 company, president of broadcasting at Lee Enterprises, and as president at Gannett, a Fortune 100 company. 
Colleen began her career in television and digital technology, and we are so thrilled to have you here today, Colleen. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to dive right in, and this is a topic that is uh, you know, really so important for women in leadership roles, so we're thrilled to be able to sort of peel back the layers um, and talk about it in depth today from your perspective. But as a woman who's a leading expert on, you know, serving top performing corporate boards across the country, what do we do about inadequate representation for women among those who run our top corporations and serve on boards today? Well, that's a great question. And one of the things that we did in Seattle was there were two or three women, three including me, Um, that got together and decided, hey, you know, we need to do something about this. Uh, Let's figure out what our stats are in the Pacific Northwest. And of course, we were pretty confident we'd be progressive and better than most. That was our thinking. And it turned out that we actually were behind the national average, um, in part because we have so many tech companies in Seattle. And I was based in Seattle at the time. And uh, we realized, whoa, we're behind by 200 basis points um, from the national average. Uh, that meant we had to figure out, and of course it's Seattle, so we have to measure everything, right? Because what gets measured gets done. So what we did was set out, and this was uh, almost four years ago, set out to change those numbers. And we first began um, to solicit uh, other women um, to who, who were looking for a board seat. I had plenty of board seats. My peers had plenty of board seats. This was about shining the light on women who deserved a board seat, who had the qualifications, but for whatever reason weren't seen. And so we started with um, onboarding women and it, it branched out and eventually was sponsored by uh, some really great uh, folks. Deloitte um, sponsored it, Perkins Coie, the law firm, and uh, several others. Spencer Stewart was also behind it. And at some point I was ready to transition it. And for the most part, I think all of us who originally were involved transitioned it to uh, the professionals, but we, we Elicited other thought leaders who were on the boards of major corporations in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle specifically. And then we enlisted um, ambassadors or uh, folks who had credibility, who had the ability to swing the dial. And folks like Blake Nordstrom, who, who was one of our selected ambassadors, could speak to this subject and um, talk to boards that did not have any women on their boards or only had one. So we looked for those influences. We held a dinner um, and hosted, thus the need for underwriting, hosted the, yes, the uh, non-gov chairs, nomination and governance chairs, the CEOs, and sometimes board chairs. So three out of each board um, were invited. We had a full room. We got uh, the investors to... um, particularly Calsters and CalPERS and State Street to come, the three biggest who invest the most, um, other than obviously BlackRock. But we we were able to get all three of them to participate and be speakers about this subject and why as investors, and remember, these are very important investors, pretty much everybody has them in their stock, um, as to why this was important to them. And then we set out to to expose more women to the board um, process, to educating, to be seen, if you will. And then um, the last thing we did was start the salons where, especially for tech women, to at individual homes to 
literally have a glass of wine and hear from some phenomenal directors. Uh, one of the lead directors on the Microsoft board came in and it was very casual. I mean, we we're sitting on the floor and talking about how to get on boards. So getting involved, being proactive, thinking through, it takes time. All of these efforts, including boards identifying the need, going through the process, working with their own directors, it takes time to, to get this done. I wish it could be done with a snap of the fingers, but it isn't. So it's very important to measure um, what you want to accomplish and hold yourself accountable and enlist help to get this done. I love that, Colleen. Um, thank you so much for that firsthand perspective of what you did to really take action and create change to ensure that women were seen and they were recognized for the accomplishments that made them worthy and made them viable corporate board candidates. So thank you. That was really inspirational. You know, in 2018, California became the very first state to mandate that there be a level of gender diversity in boardrooms with the passage of a bill called SB 826. The measure required that any kind of publicly traded company that's based there have at least one female board director, or they had an opportunity to face a $100,000 fine. So I just wonder, given that California has been such a, a leadership position in ensuring gender diversity in corporate boards, What's your position? Should other states follow California's lead? And as you are an advisor to many corporate board directors, do you see this catching on? Uh, do you think that other states will follow California's lead? Well, great question, Linda. The issue with uh, what's going on in California uh, is twofold, maybe threefold. The first being it's brought a lot of attention to the subject, right? The second it's being litigated, and we don't know if it's going to survive. The very question of, uh, is it unlawful to have quotas that discriminate on the basis of sex? That is what the question is. So that's still kind of out um, to be considered at this point. But the third kind of prong of it is, it seems to be working. Uh, if you look at by states, California has the most growth in putting women on boards. So. It seems to be working. Uh, however, like you said, stated, one third of the Russell of 3,000 has one or none women on their boards. So there's still a lot of work to be done, even though California is in their state leading. Um, also, this is an interesting little twist. It's not like the majority are replacing any directors. They're simply expanding the board. So 60% of all directors uh, of women being placed on boards were a result of an expansion of the board. That costs company money. Eventually, you know, you hope to write the size of the board to the size of the company. And with boards average being, I don't know, seven to nine, 11, generally odd numbers so that there's not a split vote. Um, that's, there aren't a lot of seats available. So, you know, I'm glad they expanded. And I'm glad that they found a way to get one on boards. But uh, I also think there's going to be a question about the right size of boards. But your question about, you know, should other states follow? The federal government is contemplating something that would address the whole country. 
That would be pretty interesting if they were to do that. However, over a dozen states aren't waiting. They've introduced, what's being introduced are different forms of, not necessarily legislation, but um, different efforts to enact um, diversity and or they're poised to enact diversity requirements on their boards. Um, I know Colorado has taken a stand. Uh, I know Illinois is taking a stand. So other states are taking stands um, all at different levels and all in different ways, but it's getting the attention for growth that we are looking for, for putting women on boards. Um, the other thing too, to keep in mind is um, the statutes that they're putting in place are really grounded on the body of evidence you introduced, Linda, that putting women on boards or diversifying your board improves decision-making. There's a vast amount of research out there that indicates that boards make wiser decisions. They, they behave differently when there are diverse uh, directors on the board. So that's kind of exciting. Now, as far as a woman who doesn't want to be a quota, it kind of bothers me. We have to go toward a quota to break the ice here. But, you know, I don't know what else to say. It seems to be working. However, you know, you have to self-identify to your gender or to your diversity. And I have known, I've known um, a very strong um, Hispanic director that, that uh, uh, served on a board that I was active in who would not identify himself as Hispanic, he wanted to be known for his qualifications. He did not want to be in a category. So it raises all kinds of questions of whether or not we should follow in California's footsteps. However, it looks to be working. It's fascinating when you start peeling back the numbers, Colleen, just thinking about the progress you know that's been made. But also when you think about in 2019, that almost half of new board seats for the S&P 500 were made up of women. And then of that, that only 10% of those were women of color. You know, we still have so much work to do. Someone's interested in serving on a board. How do they prepare and what are the first steps they need to do? Well, <clears throat> there's, you know, a set of things that you need to do once you've been identified or qualified to get on a board. But there's a set of things that you can do before you get that attention. So one of the things, and you know, it was, it was difficult for me even to be um, noticed for a variety of reasons, but you have to promote yourself in a way that's not, you know, shallow. You right. have to care enough about yourself and have the confidence, choose to have the confidence to get out there. And you know, you need a board bio. And when you put a board bio together, it's pretty easy to see the shortcomings in your board bio where you need to fill in. If you've not, for example, um, served um, in an organization or in a leadership capacity in an organization, preferably a board, um, then you should go do that because it will give you exposure. It'll give you practice. It'll give you uh, a lot of things that you just don't learn until you go into a boardroom. Uh, another is to be a thought leader, uh, publish, write, um, talk, uh, be involved, lead with your thinking on what it takes to be on a board. Uh, make sure your LinkedIn's up, up to speed. 
in is thinking broadly about your interest in being on a board. Um, the second thing I think is the most important, and I, I, I just dislike the term networking. It feels very opposite of who I am and, and very shallow. I like to call it nurturing relationships. I really, I really enjoy at a cocktail party meeting people and understanding them and learning what they're doing and be authentically engaged and not just using them to put yourself on a board because we all know when we're being used, right? We all know when somebody's genuinely listening and interested. So really encourage you to nurture relationships. Another is um, to develop a specialty. Um, today's boards are looking for uh, executives with global experience. They're looking for uh, executives with technology experience. They're looking for um, the understanding of um, how to attract or you know how to participate in the younger uh, generation. If you're especially if you're a consumer products company or you know in media or something like that. Um, so there's certain things that are very attractive um, to get yourself on a board. So develop those specialties or start being more exposed to those within your own company. Very important to, to understand where you fit. Now, you can always have financial as a strength because we always need that. Um, but we're seeing a lot of work in risk um, that is a whole different strength than we used to re require. And we're seeing a lot of interest in now what is called ESG, which is environmental, um, social governance. and how you can be more involved in your communities, how you can be more involved in your workforce, how you can uh, be more involved in general in the world of being a good citizen. So those are some things that you can develop a specialty in. Um, also, the, the part about um, you just don't have to go on any board. Pick out a board you really like. You know, if I were uh, creating my favorite best board right now that I'm not on, that I'd love to be on, I'm a big fan of ancestry. I do, I've do. i done genealogy work for 30 years. Um, I know the ins and outs of their product so so well that I bet I know more than most on their board just because I use it every day and I've been a member forever. And I, I mean, it is fascinating to me. And I do it because it uh, it's not only something good for me to do, I like research, but on top of it, it makes me feel very grateful for what we have today when you go and look at your history, right? So I get excited about that company. Um, I would love to be on that board, but find a company you really get. And there's no reason not to say, hey, you know, I want to learn more about your company. You know, you don't have to come out and say, hey, I want to be on your board, but I really have made an effort to to learn about their corporation because I think that company is so interesting. Anyway, that's just me. But so there are things you can do, you know, to to get yourself ready. But then on top of that, and I don't mean to go on in a monologue here, but there are so many other things you can do that position you well when you go on the board, right? And when they go through a search, make sure you understand why you're being asked to join that board. If you're only asked to join that board because you're a woman, I really, really encourage you to examine that because it may not be a real fun gig. Um, there, or to be the token woman. So I've gone on boards often and said, I'm happy to join the board. I'd love to join the board when I was going to be the first woman. But 
I need you to look me in the eye and say, I'm not going to be the voice for all women. You're going to be recruiting more women, right? And, you know, they promise that because oftentimes once they start, they've made a commitment, right? But um, I love that answer when they say, yes, you're not going to be the only woman um, because I'm not sure I'd do it if I were the only woman because it's not all that um, rewarding. And I've witnessed it. I still witness it, whether or not it's a, a volunteer board or a public board um, where you get old mindsets or, or mindsets that just are not in tune with today's world. And you have to sit through that. And there's so limited time on a board. In, in a board meeting, um, it's very hard to get everything done and to really compete and be successful. And remember, most folks get paid a part in equity. So you want the company to grow, right? You're aligned with the shareholders. You want it to grow. And if you don't think the board got the right mindset, you're losing part of your compensation. So the other is learn about the industry. I kind of touched on that. Um, I'm on a forestry board, a private board. And I would never have guessed I would enjoy it as much as I have. But I love it, you know, to be looking at the coolest things like essential oils and other products and uh, Manuka honey. And, you know, who knew all that stuff was in the forest, right? Uh, beyond the fact that it's just, uh, a, you know, it's a, I can get behind it because we're teaching the, the, the world about uh, taking care of the land and managing the forest. And we're very, very proactive about that. You know, it makes you proud to go into, and it's great to have a board meeting in the forest, I have to say. It's much better than sitting around a table. But um, finding excitement about an industry you get asked about, don't just shut it down because you don't know the industry. Take some time. I ended up going on this board because I had a lot of experience with family in corporate boardrooms. So that's how I ended up getting asked. That was good to know because I didn't know that was why they were asking me. And I've come to love the industry. It's super fascinating. So uh, be clear about your role on the board. If they look at you as a technologist, then make sure you're learning and reading and staying up on top of that. If they think of you as a comp expert, uh, which you need, um, or committee work, it's one of the three key committees, um, then make sure you are current and up to speed and stay up to speed. Um, understand the protocol in the boardroom. It's a, a really tough thing to know until you're in the room, but getting an interview with everybody on the board so that they have buy-in to why you're walking in the door, um, huge benefit. So you're not struggling with the, the dynamics of the board. Um, you need to be able to attend the meetings. You need to look at your calendar and say, yep, it doesn't conflict. I'm going to be there and then be there. You have to do your homework, which most people don't realize, yes, you might be in a board meeting for four hours or six hours, but for every hour, you should probably spend two or three preparing. So there's a lot of time that goes in advance, plus the travel. Although right now with COVID, we're not doing a lot of travel. So you have to be ready to do that kind of work. Um, if you're going into a troubled company, you have to make sure you have the time. Um, I was on one board, uh, American Apparel. We had 20 I was chairman of the board, and we had 22 board meetings in one year. Highly unusual. Normally, you average, you know, five, eight, maybe. But it was a troubled company, and, you know, I was brought in to, to sort through some of that. Um, take your performance seriously. Uh, this is not like going to work every day. Everything you do and say um, is, you know, you're with the finest of the fine. These people are extremely top level. 
they don't suffer fools. Do your homework, be prepared, understand, understand that your performance in that boardroom matters. There's a lot of 360 uh, monitoring that goes on with yourself on how that comes off, how you come off to management, how you come off to professionals, how you come off to the other board members. And not that you want to be liked, but you want to be relevant, right? And you want to do it with a tone that means you're, you're still not judging. And then the last is, um, and I kind of touched on this, is continuing education. Just because you get on the board doesn't mean you're done with I read more now about so many different industries and about so many different um, elements within, you know, running a business than I did when I was running companies. Um, I have time to read, number one, but number two, it, it, things are moving faster. And so you have to read and, and consider your source, too. Um, very important not to, you know, get caught in reading these obscure things that will probably never affect us, but really <clears throat> consider your source and what you're reading. So those are, in general, the things I'd recommend for preparing yourself to serve on a board. Oh, what great advice and guidance, Colleen. Thank you so much. And I would say that Ancestry would be lucky to have you. <laughs> I honestly, I, I hope that someone from Ancestry is listening right now because you could not have a more effective board member than Colleen Birdnow-Brown, for sure. Thank you. And, um, you know, I... I Loved what you said about being careful around the boards that you choose to be involved in and understanding the difference between a nonprofit board and a for-profit board is so critical as well. Nonprofit boards, there's as much of a give as there is a get. Um, and if you are working with an early startup or a Fortune 500 company, the dynamics and the expectations are completely different. So I so appreciate you bringing to light some of the dynamics that can be really different in the different kinds of board involvement, board participation that you may be invited to be a part of. And being able to make a very well-informed and careful choice is just critical. And, you know, we talked about this at the top of the hour, but on average, boards today have about three women directors compared to two about a decade ago. So it seems as though boards are welcoming more and more women to create that kind of gender diversity, which is great. Again, uh, on average, boards today now have three women compared to two a decade ago, and only 8% of boards have just one woman. But do you feel like, Colleen, that's enough? Well, I think <clears throat> I'm going to answer that the way Ruth Bader Ginsburg answered the question when she was asked by a congressman during her interview, how many women, when she was being um, interviewed for the position of the Supreme Court Justice, how many women does she think should be on the Supreme Court Justice? And her answer back was nine. And he said, he basically responded by, you've got to be joking. And she goes, well, only five years ago, there were nine men on the board. So not that I really believe that because I feel it should be fair. And, you know, I, I honestly want the best for decision making. Um, so you don't want necessarily all women. But I loved her answer because <laughs> I thought it was very funny. Um, as far as are we doing enough and, um, you know, where we're at right now, uh, the NASDAQ uh, is behind the, the New York Stock Exchange regarding um, the number of women. And it's closer to two on the boards of the NASDAQ where it's closer to three 
within, you know, I think it's 27%, so closer to three um, on the New York Stock Exchange. And you will find that the Fortune 500 companies are far more, the larger the company, the more likelihood they have more women on their board. The smaller the company, as I pointed out with the Russell 3000, the bottom 1000 pretty much only have one woman or none on their board. So, you know, the larger you go, I think they're getting it. Um, ideally, what is the right size of the board? Then you talk about what's the right number. And because of size, you kind of have to say a percentage. And I would say half and half because I think that's fair. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there's going to be pushback that, well, where do you find these people? And I always answer, you bring one on and you're going to surprise yourself at how many you become familiar with because it just works that way. People who will say, you know, where would I find diverse candidates? Where would I find female candidates? And it's like, well, let me give me give you my list. <laughs> I mean, it's just like there are so many qualified, but oftentimes they'll look for a unicorn that nobody can fill the shoes of. And they result in a fallback position of, of putting uh, a white male on the board. Now, I have a white male son and a white female son. So, you know, I want it to be fair. Um, I have many, many friends and colleagues that are um, of minority. And they, they bring so much tremendous value to your board. I just want it to be fair. So what can we do or how much is enough when it's equal, when it's fair? And I would say the same about leadership in the C-suite. It, which is where generally we, we recruit from, right? Um, and then, you know, truly trying to get away from the usual suspects, the, the, the female that get asked to be on every board, right? There are so many others who, for one reason or another, you know, at the time, and I can think of several, were busy during building their career where they spent their time with their kids, right? Not big careers, big careers, I can tell you. C-suite careers in top 10 companies, right? Doesn't mean they're not qualified to be on the board just because nobody knows them. Now, obviously, they'll get placed. But the point being that they weren't known. And yet, if you get known, there's there's just so many people who are qualified to be on corporate boards who could do the work. And if they can't do the work, it's a problem because it falls to the rest of the directors to do the work. And believe me, none of us want to do that either. So making sure they can contribute and they understand what is needed to be on a board um, and what the responsibility is. It just can't be somebody who thinks they can do it. They have to have done the homework. They have to have prepared themselves. Um, or, you know, it does wear in the boardroom because of the volume of work you get need to have done. Think about this. You know, if you only have five to eight board meetings a year and say they're four to five hours, maybe six hours long, and management definitely always presents hundreds of pages of, of data and documentation, whatever you say as a director needs to be material. You might get two or three times to speak in that meeting. It better be relevant and it better, you know, be the big picture. We always talk about nose in fingers out, because if you've been a CEO, you tend to like to solve things. <laughs> you tend to like to operate things. Um, and that's not your job anymore. You have to learn to step back, nose in, fingers out, and find a way to work with 
management in a coaching advisory, you know, the, the whole oversight is critical, but the insight, your wisdom is probably the thing that management will say they really like most. But the thing that we're weakest in as boards is foresight. Now, how do we look around the corner? And so those are the areas that I think are important for us to be doing more in and thinking about the future of boards and how women can make a difference. I think the wisdom part, oversight, sure, women can do. I think the wisdom part is a different perspective. And then I think the the looking around the corners, so much is changing in our world as women, as caregivers, as leaders, that I think it's very valuable input. I think you mentioned something about the responsibility of serving on a board a few times. The responsibility factor is critical. So can you talk just briefly about what you think are some of the key responsibilities of serving on a board and how women should position themselves now to assume those responsibilities if they want a board seat in the future? That's a great question. Um, Fiduciary responsibility is the overarching um, area that we all as directors need to understand. And that primarily attaches to your financial acumen. And if you can talk numbers backwards and forwards, you're going to be probably okay. If you can see a a healthy balance sheet, if you can read a P&L statement um, and draw relatively quickly informed um, decisions or opinions um, on the capital structure of the company, uh, you're going to be in a pretty good position. Um, understanding the sustainability of cash flows, going concerns, all those things, the fundamental requirements of the directors to understand the numbers and go from there. So you will find many more women on board to come out of the financial area because it is such a very specific skill set that everybody needs on the board. Um, but in addition, you know, we tend to recruit from CEOs and there's a limited amount of CEOs, particularly public company CEOs, which is a different navigation than private company. Although a lot of private companies behave behind the scenes like a public company when your laundry is completely aired and you are responsible for every disclosure and you file proxies, there's a lot more pressure on getting it right the first time. There's no room for mistakes. So uh, being strategic uh, means taking your numbers, applying it to what management is thinking about with strategy, but then turning it back to what does that mean in the numbers and why that matters. It's the credible link. You know, can you make a convincing story to the stakeholders, particularly Wall Street, about what you're doing, what you're setting out to do, and then be responsible enough to communicate and and board hold management responsible for the advancement of that strategy and the numbers that were attached to that strategy. And that takes, uh, you know, overarching three years, five years, you know, for the the outcome to be fully seen. You know, saying what you're going to do is one thing, but doing what you say you're going to do, that's another thing. Um, uh, Another aspect of this is the relationships um, that develop between um, transparency and openness in a boardroom. It's very easy for the board to intimidate management and not listen. It's very easy to do the should on your neighbor kind of, yeah, should on your neighbor, um, where you sit to the, and tell the management, you should really do this. You know, well, you know, we hire them to make these decisions. 
we better fully understand why they didn't do that in the first place. So um, having that relationship of, of allowing management to be empowered, but not too empowered that they don't listen to you, but empowered enough to be honest and forthcoming and not try to hide a surprise or, you know, that right level of balance of what the board should know, what it doesn't need to know. Having that relationship is really critical and it's kind of fragile. It doesn't take much to upset that. Having one board member that is out of line with management can undo a lot of work. So keeping that, the chair needs to keep that under control, but also as directors, we have our own responsibilities. Um, the role you play, this is one of my favorite things um, to think about because as a CEO, it's pretty easy to have an opinion about everything and how it should be done and how I would do it if I were doing it. And you know what? That's not your role. Understanding that you as an individual got to where you were as a CEO or at senior level, C-suite, because you were successful, because you were leading, and yet the role as a, a board um, director is really being more thoughtful. It's really being more insightful and it's about more control than necessarily as a CEO, in my opinion, because you can be disrupted because you have so many of us with egos and, and energy and the dynamics that just can make a boardroom pretty chaotic. So it takes a lot of self-control for us to understand our role and behave in a way that's productive. Um, and meaningful to management, helpful to management. You just can't give them a laundered list of additional things to do um, coming out of a board meeting. That is really disheartening for management to, to deal with that. So understanding that delicate role that you play in the boardroom, but not sitting on your hands, maybe sitting on your hands, but not shutting your brain off, making sure you're really engaged matters. And the last thing I was just going to say is um, the cultural aspect uh, of being involved in a board in, in a company. Every company has a different culture and understanding what that is. And it's interesting because some take a little more time for you to work your way through all these unsaid rules or, you know, even where people sit <laughs> can be, can be controversial. So don't take somebody else's chair, you know, um, I, it's just amazing what little things we're all humans out in the boardroom to get the board functioning in a way that is most productive for helping the company or for overseeing the company. Um, so those are, you know, things, thoughts off the top of my head that I think could make a difference um, to, for a successful uh, boardroom. And I think women bring a lot of that personality to the boardroom of being much more um, prepared, much more thoughtful when they do ask a question. The women I work with on my boards, I, I just couldn't be more proud of them. They are amazing, totally engaged, totally um, on top of it, asking the right questions, just phenomenal women. That's great. Colleen, thank you so much. I will tell you that having been on both sides, both a management team C-suite member who had to present to our board and also on the other side where I participated as a board member and listen to management, you're right, that dynamic is delicate and it's um, incredibly critical that you understand that nuanced relationship, whether you're part of the board 
that's providing insight and guidance, or you're part of the management team that's actually presenting and asking for critical advice and guidance. So thank you. Um, so one last question. This is fun. Uh, what is the best leadership advice that you have ever received? And why did that make an impact for you? So if you could share with us the best leadership advice you, Colleen, have ever received. <laughs> well, my grandmother said it to me, and uh, it's certainly stuck in my brain forever. Uh, my grandmother pretty much raised me um, because my mother was uh, was killed early in my life. And my grandmother said, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. And I don't know if that's in the Bible or not, but that was her opinion. And I kind of took that to heart. The other comment um, that I will add uh, is more recent, but it, it, it's life um, is a choice and confidence is a choice in how you think, what you put in your brain, all of those things that friends you hang with, companies you work for, they get in your psyche. So life's a choice and you have the choice to be a part of something great or walk away from it. It is your choice. So choice choice is very much on my mind these days. That is such a great reminder. Thank you, Colleen, so much. I will tell you that even though I have served on boards and I've been part of the C-suite that has received incredible guidance from boards, I still learned something today. And so I am so grateful for your time, your insight, your expertise. Honestly, it was such a pleasure and such an honor to have you as part of the Leadership Global Podcast. Thank you. So um, thank you, Linda. Thank you, Christina. Those were all good questions. You're so welcome. It was such a joy to meet you. And um, we are just, we have so many nuggets to take forward from the discussion today. Thank you. Well, yes, if this even helps one woman figure out that they can get on a board and they get on a board, yeah, it's made my year. <laughs> You're amazing. I'm serious. Well, thank you. Have a lovely rest of your week to all of our listeners. And again, this was Colleen Birdnow Brown, who was able to give us incredible wisdom around uh, affecting the future through one corporate board at a time. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.